I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mark Fotheringham to my Carlos Corboran. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. It's I tell you what, it was a ridiculous, I don't know, game week of just the amount of goals that were scored in a midweek fixture list. It's oh, yeah. absolutely bonkers. So much to cover, cover so much to go through. Um but no, I'm I'm very good, thank you. It just makes me happy that there's so many goals in midweek because we don't usually get that. We don't usually get treated that well. Yeah, well, spoiler alert, we've got the f- our last game that we cover in this episode is a 3-1 win, which usually <laughs> wouldn't be the case, but simply because there's been so much to talk about in midweek, not just with the games, but also manager news as well. We're going to have to really, you know, kind of drift over games that we usually would give a lot more time to, but that's just the nature of podcasting, isn't it really, Justin? It is. It's the nature of podcasting. We talk about football. We love talking about football. Um, and I've completely forgot what you said literally 20 seconds ago, which is, why I'm, which is why I'm dragging this bit out. The ADHD yeah. is really <laughs> kicking in. <laughs> Could be true, could be true. (laughs) Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in in midweek. As Justin says, there's been plenty of goals and action for us to talk about, as well as the news from the past few days in the championship. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. So a goal from former Canary Carlton Morris gave Luton a 1-0 win away at Norwich. What a statement win this is, Justin, for the Hatters. They had their backs to the wall for large chunks of the game, but continued to battle, stayed solid and fought two for nil to get any form of result. And it paid off. Yeah, it's an attitude that is really hard to drill into a team. And Luton have had it basically for the last 18 months, haven't they? Um, Barnsley had it under Ishmael, that playoff run. It's teams that don't have these big budgets. I know it's, we bang on about it, but it's teams that don't have these big budgets. They've got to make make up for it in drive, determination and grit. And then there's the tactical genius of Nathan Jones. Um, because in this game, I thought they were brilliantly disciplined. The structure was solid throughout. They had a really good shape. They made it really difficult for Norwich. And they chose the moments when to press. The goal came from them pressing Norwich uh, in the middle of the park to then break away quickly. 
And then they, they've got little bits of quality in their team, um, which really come to the fore in these tight games. They've got difference makers in these tight games. Carlton Morris is one of them. Um, I don't need to. I don't think I need to say anything about Carlton Morris, do I? Because I am unhealthily obsessed with him. Let's be you honest. are the you are the chief of the Carlton Morris fan club. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, absolutely. If if I, I'm like that guy out of Alan Partridge. You know, he's got a big tattoo of um, Alan Partridge on his chest, and he's just wall to wall covered with Alan Partridge. That's me with Carlton Morris. Can we get a Carlton Morris tattoo of you on it on your body somewhere? Um, maybe if he, no, I'm not going to make a promise. <laughs> what if, what if Luton went up this season? Would you get a Carlton Morris? It doesn't have to be his face. It could just be, you know, CM, his initials. I'd take that. Um, maybe if we can make it look like pop culture cool, because that's the sort of tattoos I, I have, then yes, then yes, absolutely. If they go up, if Luton win promotion, um, and Carl Morris scores over 20 goals, I will seriously consider it. Interesting. Keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. But that goal from Carl Morris, it was so classy, wasn't it, Justin? The couple of step-overs to completely send Grant Hanley to get some chips was fantastic. And then the finish afterwards, against his old club as well, but it was so well taken. And it's just very much becoming typical of him as a player, really, isn't it? Yeah, he's always been a tidy finisher. Um, I think it's just, I said on Twitter, um, it's just about him staying fit. Staying fit and consistent, that's been the, the key thing with Morris. And I know he's entering his prime years now. He's not a, a young uh, forward by any means. You know, he's not 20, 21. Um, so he, he doesn't have that time on his side, but he's, he's thoroughly enjoying himself. And, he, and his quality is there to be to be seen. The goal he scored, a couple of step overs, as you say, sent Grant Halley for some chips. Um, and then the finish to come with that. Not many players can do both in the same sequence. Cotton Morris can. He's done it time and time again. I can't remember who it was against, but there's a goal earlier on in the season where it's step over, step over, onto his left foot, finish. He's got it. He's got it in the bag. Um, fantastic player. Um, and Norwich, I, well, I don't think they'll be kicking themselves that they sold him, but they'll be thinking, what if? What if we put the time in for him? It was just bad timing, I guess, with with those two coming through and Norwich being so good in the, in the Championship. Well, he is an all-round striker, isn't he? He can use both feet, as we saw here. He can dribble, he can finish, but he's also a big, strapping, strong lad. Uh, and he's also got loads of pace about him as well. He's great in the air. I struggle to find a weakness in his game, really, Justin. And that's why he is spearheading this Luton charge up the table, isn't he? And this result sees Luton move up to fifth. Fifth, Justin, having lost one of their last 11 games, picking up more points in that time than any other championship side and if you just allow me a moment to put my smug face on justin <laughs> it's it's always around here somewhere but it's never too far away but i'm definitely putting it on for this bit of the show because i of course put luton second in my league table predictions which led to me being the subject of much ridicule from fans of other clubs many of whom said luton are more likely to get relegated well here i am now serving up humble pies aplenty to those supporters <laughs> It's still a long way to go, of course, but they're such a good side. And I can almost guarantee them at least a top eight finish at this point. I mean, if they finished seventh or eighth, I think they'd be quite disappointed with that. But players will continue to be the aim again for Luton. Having said that, the sky is the limit because they're playing so well week in, week out, which is more than you can say about pretty much every other championship side who at, at least have, you know, the odd game in 
five or six where they don't turn up. I don't remember Luton having a bad performance for quite some time now. So I called Luton to go up automatically at the start of the season. As the weeks go by, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a distinct possibility, especially after taking such a huge scalp like Norwich in their own backyard, Justin. So if you weren't a believer before, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you right now, Luton, genuine top two contenders, Justin. They're consistent as anything and they're heading in the right direction. I'm not going to argue against it. I, I completely I completely agree. Um, I think the only thing that could let them down is is just that overall quality and budget of those teams in and above them. But if you consider the, the amount of injuries Sheffield United have, um, Norwich probably lacking the quality they had a couple of years ago, um, they, they they might well be, um, and as I say, it's, it's those it's those characteristics that they've got the, that grit, drive, determination, the structure of the organisation. It's all there. They're they're a cohesive unit, and you can't really say that about quite a lot of teams in the Championship at the moment. You know, your Watfords, your Norwiches, even um, maybe less so Sheffield United. Um, but yeah, they're they're in a really, really good place, and I I can see it happening. Um, I don't want to throw all of my eggs uh, into that basket just yet, but can certainly confidently say they'll be up there. This result isn't going to do anything to stop the Boo Boys at Norwich, is it? Justin, who become increasingly unhappy about the job Dean Smith's doing. To be fair, Luton are very well-drilled side, aren't they? And I imagine there are plenty of Norwich fans who are seeing this result as a travesty because they just don't realise how good Luton are. But they're struggling to get results. And considering Dean Smith has got a relegation with Norwich under his CV and not too many positives... He's only going to come under more and more pressure, isn't he, as the longer this goes on? I think he is. I, I do think it's somewhat unfair to to do that because um, I think we're finding out that the squad is is perhaps lacking a little bit quality that it needs. Um, if you look at Kenny McLean, for example, he was a squad player under Daniel Farker, but now he's a first choice midfielder, and he's he's a good player. But is he a, is he a, a player who's going to? help charge you up the table into that um, into that top two. I don't think he is. It's not a criticism of it. Um, I just think the squad lacks that quality that other teams do. Um, but the, the, the things that Smith can control are, you know, the, the cohesive, the cohesiveness that I was talking about with Luton. It's getting them playing like a team. Daniel Farker had that down to a T. Um, whereas Dean Smith, I think, is still going through the motions, which should we really be saying after almost a year in charge? Probably not which is the criticism of Dean Smith. Um, but again, in this game, I just think they were wasteful. Um, they weren't quite fluid in their attacks and they were undone by, uh, I wouldn't say a mistake, but they were pressed into an error they didn't need to make. Um, and they were turned over quite quickly. Um, and I don't think that's down to Dean Smith and the way he sets his teams up. I just think they're not getting the run of the, uh, the rub of the green at the moment. As I say, just very wasteful in attack. Chances are, are going begging. They're still creating... Um, I think I, I I would just play it by here. I, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't dive into Saint Dean Smith just yet. Well, they've got Sheffield United away this weekend, which is a massive game for both sides, and then they've got Burnley after that as well. So, considering they've just lost the third game in a row, big time for Dean Smith mm-hmm. as a gaffer. Uh, Tom Bradshaw hat trick gave Millwall a three 0 win at home to Watford. I was in the pub while this game was being played, and I didn't have a signal on my phone, so I asked my friend to check the scores. When he said this game was three 0 to Millwall at half time, I nearly spat my drink out, Justin. <laughs> um, but Tom Bradshaw prolific. He does this, doesn't he? He has a spell where he scores a few goals and then Millwall put him back in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's good value, isn't he, for, you know, 
five or six goals a season. I think he said that in his post-match press conference as well. He said, he literally said, sometimes you go through games where you score all the time and sometimes you just go through games where you don't. And that is Tom Bradshaw summed up to a T, isn't it, as you said. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. He's a, he's a lovely squad player. Um, he can score goals. Might not grab you 20, um, but he will work his socks off. And he's, he's an instinctive finisher as well. Um, not only is he in the right places at the right times, but if you go to his first goal in, in this game, lovely, lovely half volley. Um, yeah, he's, he's a good finisher. He did something similar against Derby last season, actually. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's a good finisher. It's just a case of perhaps if he can stay fit consistently, he can score goals because he showed it at Walsall and Barnsley that he can do it. Um, it's just fitness side of things has, has let him down in the past, which is a shame because he is he can be prolific when he gets going. It's just making sure he's off the, uh, the physio table. Well, three straight wins now for Millwall, Justin. We were talking about the weekend, about their top six hopes, which you were, you know, banging the drum for at the start of the season. Are you increasingly becoming more of a believer in the Lions? I think I am. I think they're starting to click nicely. The four-two-three-one is working quite well under Rowett compared to the three at the back before. Um, I just think if they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in the press, perhaps a four-two-three-one adds a little bit more balance, adds a little bit more. Um, a few more overloads in attack, especially in wide areas, for example. Um, so, yeah, I'm becoming increasingly increasingly more confident. Um, and, yeah, I think that's it's quite clever down. It's quite clever from, from Rowett. And then you look at the quality he's got coming from the bench as well. Callum Styles came on, uh, Shackleton came on, Honeyman came on. There's a lot of ability in there. And I think a 4-2-3-1 does suit the likes of George Saville. Um, Billy Mitchell's been out of the team as well. So, yeah, there's there's just... An abundance of quality available to Rowett. Mason Bennett grabbed an assist. He played really well in this game. So, yes, it's a huge, huge positive at the moment. And they're peaking at a good time. We're pretty much officially a quarter of the way through the season as well, or a third of the way through the season. Yeah, third of the way through the season. Um, and to be in and around the playoffs is, is probably where Gary Rowett will want to be. Well, it wasn't a good day at the office for Watford, was it? Three long balls into the box and Watford just panicked. It really was a defensive disaster class at times. You look at it from a Watford perspective. I mean, what were you expecting against <laughs> Millwall? That's what Millwall do. They they like to pump balls into the box and Watford just could not deal with it at all. It bad, you know, it was bad news made even worse when Iman Lauza was stretched off after 18 minutes, which is just, it's terrible news for them, isn't it? Because he's probably the worst player to get injured for them. He's not the most talented player at Watford. I think you're looking more at the likes of Pedro and Saar for that. But in terms of how important he is to this team, he is absolutely vital because it meant they were going back to playing two holding midfielders, which we constantly bemoan on this show, Justin, because why are a team like Watford trying to get back into the Premier League at the first time of asking playing two holding midfielders? I just don't understand that at all. But they've got to now because they simply haven't got anyone else. Iman Lauza gave them that quality and that creativity that you'd um, that you need from deep in midfield to start attacks. And now that he's gone, I think that's really, really going to hurt them, Justin. But I've really struggled to make much sense of Watford as a whole. They've just come off the back of a brilliant win against Norwich at the weekend, and now just completely collapsed after a couple of long balls into the box against Millwall. Yeah, it's, um, I hate the term, but it's, it's schoolboy, isn't it? The fact that if you don't learn after the first one and you repeat the mistakes over and over again, it's, it's horrendous. Um, and it goes a long way to saying that this squad is not, or this team, the starting eleven is just not 
it's not capable. Um, the decision making on the pitch is absolutely dreadful. Um, and without those players to bail you out, the likes of Lauser to play that crisp pass into Saar, to get the ball into in behind for Davis, for example, um, they do, they just don't have it. Um, and as you say, Kimbe for as, for, as, for as much as he endeavours, he's so poor on the ball. Um, he's so so poor on the ball, and it's difficult. And then defensively, it's just dreadful. Um, as I say, if you go out, did a really clever thing in highlighting weaknesses. Um, and with Jake Cooper putting balls into Jake Cooper, um, and you're not going to beat Jake Cooper in the air, but if you sit someone a little bit taller um, than the, the marker marking Jake Cooper in front of him, he's not going to get those balls. Um, and, they, and they didn't. As I say, the on-pitch uh, on decision-making is absolutely dreadful. Um, there's no cohesion in attack. I had my notes on Watford done and dusted after 30 minutes. I, I knew exactly where the game was going to go. I knew they weren't going to get back into it. And my my prediction of them not finishing the playoffs uh, at the weekend, I stand by. I just can't see it because defensively, they're terrible. They've got talent going forwards. Defensively, they are so, so bad. Blackburn are joint top of the league after beating Sunderland 2-0. Blackburn are top, despite only two teams in the league losing more games than them. However, this does bring an end to their ridiculous form of winning, then losing, then winning, then losing, because this is now their making it back-to-back wins after winning at the weekend as well. Ben Barrett and Diaz scored a proper beauty here. Just an edge of the box, curled into the top bin. Some finish that. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. I, I love those types of goals. I know I say, you know, if you just put your foot through it, it's not the same, but that was beautifully curled. Uh, much like his much like his locks, beautifully curled. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's quite straight. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it was worth keeping hold of for sure for Blackburn. And I guess it depends what the respirations are for the season. But if you've got a player like Ben Brown and Diaz, he can, be a, he can be a difference maker. And he was in this game because that goal set Blackburn up onto... I wouldn't say a comfortable win, but a win that was, um, yeah, well earned. Um, and when you, as I say, you've got players that can do that on the pitch from anywhere on the pitch. Yeah, you're laughing, aren't you? Yeah, top, top player, top, top finish. Yeah, I saw some Blackburn fans saying this was their best performance of the season, which I'm definitely not mm-hmm. sure about. I thought this one could have definitely gone either way. And maybe if Sunderland actually had, you know, a striker, it could have been a different result. You know, strikers do tend to help in football, don't they, Justin? I don't very often use the term false position when looking at the championship table, but I think we'd both be outright lying right now, wouldn't we, if we said Blackburn were the joint best team in the league after 16 games. Admittedly, they have played more games than others, so maybe it is more of a false position in that sense. But in terms of how well they've played compared to where they are on the table, I think they definitely are in a false position. I'll give credit where it's due first, because Ben Brereton Diaz has brought back his form up that we saw in the first half of last season. Tyler Morton, Ryan Hedges in midfield have both impressed me this season. And Dom Hyam, Callum Britton, both proven to be smart signings as well. But you look at the performances, very mixed. It's not just because they went an eight game or so period where they were winning and then losing. But when they've lost, they've been really quite poor on plenty of occasions, they've not even made it a contest. I'm thinking back to that Wigan game from last week where Wigan were just clearly the better team. But then looking back at some of their wins as well, the 3-0 against Rotherham, fine, that was convincing. The 2-0 against Watford was impressive. 3-0 against Swansea was a strange game, if my memory serves me correctly, but I'll let them off. The remainder of their wins have been not really convincing. And then when you look at the underlying data as well, only three teams have a poor expected goals from, against them from open play in the division and they're 17th for expected goals for in open play. 
So what I'm trying to say in a kind of long-winded roundabout way is I think Blackburn are in a false position. The lack of consistency is a big reason in itself as to why I would say I'd be very surprised if they're still challenging for the top six as the season goes on. But the performances as a whole would make me even more surprised because I don't think they've really been actually that good. Uh, let's look at the game from a Sunderland perspective. Just enough of the game, Tony Mowbray said, I've just said to them, let's keep going. When you get your centre-forwards back, you will win lots of football matches if you can create as many opportunities around the box with the centre-forward, with the movement of Ross Stewart. The problem is they don't have Ross Stewart, Justin, and that's really hindering Sunderland, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I think when teams go through that, um, yeah, it, 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 you almost sort of grit your teeth and, and, and grind as a supporter. Cause it's like, yeah, we, we're getting into these really good areas, but Christ alive, we're not taking chances. We're not taking chances. We don't have a forward. Um, and I'm not going to point the finger at um, at the board for not bringing in a third striker because Sunderland are not going to blow their budget out of the water. They probably just didn't expect the likes of Stuart and Sims to get injured at the same time and to have slightly longer layoffs than expected. It's unlucky. It's unfortunate. Um, and I think if you if you look at the the way they're setting up at the minute, um, I think you look at Patrick Roberts, for example, could beat two or three players, did it a couple of times against Blackburn. But his decision-making at times wasn't great. Perhaps he's missing that focal point to to play off, to play into. Um, and again, as I said, the way they're having to set up with Pritchard and Clark and, and Roberts as a sort of a rotating front three, you're not getting the best out of any of those players because those players need to play off, need to play off a forward. Um, they need a focal point, and it's just unfortunate that it's, that it's coming now. And I do agree with Mowbray. If they play like, if they play the way they do um, with a with a number nine in the team, they will get results. They will score goals. They're creating a good a good amount of chances to do it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really unlucky. And I think defensively as well, made some mistakes that led to the goals. And obviously, there's the penalty shout as well before the Bren Brereton Diaz goal, which arguably you can say was a penalty. So could have, could have gone either way last night against Blackburn. Yeah, there's also more injury news for Sunderland. Defender Ajay Lise needs a scan on his foot. He was taken off in this game and adds to an injury list, which has already caused them plenty of problems in recent weeks. So Sunderland really can't catch a break. And the thing is, they were playing really well earlier in the season as well, mm. weren't they? So massive shame for them. The team top of the league, though, is QPR. They won 3-0 at home to Cardiff in what could be Mick Beale's final match in charge. More on that later in the news. There was an early red card for Cardiff in this game, which seems very harsh, Justin. I, also, I thought it wasn't a rule anymore that a team yeah. could get a red card and a penalty given against them. So what's happened here? I, I think the referee has to interpret it as a deliberate attempt to stop the person scoring, which... It was anything but a deliberate attempt. If yeah. anything, it was a collision. Uh, first, I don't think it was a penalty. <clears throat> so it's certainly not a red card. But if the referee does think it's a penalty, how does he not see that as a collision of, of players coming together and it just being a penalty and not, not even a yellow card? Really, really bizarre decision. And QPR fully took advantage of it. I think from a card perspective, you just got to go, well, we're up against it there. Um, because, he's, yeah, that's set aside again. It's cost them three points. It, well, it's not cost them three points, but it's cost them the chance of getting anything from this game, hasn't it? Because yeah. from that point, when you're down to 10 men for 70 minutes or however mm -hmm. long it was, you, you, you're never going to get, you're always going to struggle to get three points or yeah. a, a point even from that game, aren't you? Yeah, no, that's, that's what I mean. I completely agree. That's, that's why you've almost got to write it off um, from a performance perspective because the referees turned the game on its head massively with a really poor decision. Um, and it was a game-changing decision and it was a bad one. <clears throat> and it's really frustrating from a Cardiff perspective because 
yeah, we weren't able to see what they were able to do. Um, but from a QPR perspective, they they fully took advantage of it. Um, yeah, I, they fully took advantage of the general decision. It's, it's frustrating, um, but that's where we are. That's where we are with officiating. Yeah, well, very frustrating. Still somewhat impressive from QPR, I suppose, <clears throat> to win this convincingly, despite the news in the lead up to this game, which I suppose... Keeping off players wouldn't have been blamed if their heads were slightly turned, I suppose. Linda Dykes scores another brace. He suddenly found form. Anti Justin. Yep. And as I say, you, you put the ball in the box for him, he's going to score goals. He's very much, he's fit, you know, he's in that category of a, a confidence player. He's not someone who can instinctively, like Ben Barrington Diaz, just shoot from 30 yards and, and put it in the top corner. He's a, he's a player that's got to get into the right areas and put the balls in the box. Because I think it was earlier on this season, he missed that chance, didn't he, from about six yards out where he side-footed it and he went wide. And everyone was like, oh God, here we go. He's selling, etc. Um, but he's, he's found form and he's been a nice focal point for QPR. And you, when you're missing star quality in Chris Willock, when you've got someone who's picking up the slack in terms of goals and getting into good areas and putting chances away in dykes, then it's it's a massive sigh of relief, I guess, because you're putting those chances away and hopefully, hopefully he stays consistent and yeah, he's found his goal scoring mojo. Yeah, we'll talk more about QPR in the news because it's really difficult to stress <laughs> questions like, will QPR manage to stay around the automatic promotion battle when their manager may be departing? But we'll talk about more about that in the news, as I say. After an unbeaten start under Mark Hudson as caretaker, they've now lost back-to-back games. He did seem assert for the job before, didn't he? Um, it, it seems a bit difficult to say, should there be a rethink now, Justin, uh, considering this game is a bit of a write-off after mm-hmm. the early sending off. But what are you thinking with him possibly getting the job permanently? I still think give him to the World Cup. Um, I don't think the Coventry performance was was all that was all that bad. And obviously this game's a write-off because referees had such an impact on it. Um, but get to the World Cup and see see what they can do coming out of these this this mini spell, this mini back-to-back defeat, this mini run of poor form under Mark Hudson. Um, I mean, the, the data sample is so small; it's hard to it's hard to really judge him still. Um, but the first three games, he was you know he was good, made some really good decisions, really good on the counter attack. Um, but as I say, two defeats, no goals, looks looks really poor. So let's see how they get on the weekend, and then we can properly judge him from there because he would have had a good amount of games. And then still, as I say, let's let's get him to let's get him to the World Cup, so to speak. Um, let's get him to the World Cup break and, and see where they are, see where he's at. And if he's done a good job, then then give it him. But if not, if you're not convinced, then then move on because there are plenty of good managers out there. Justin, let's take a break. After that, we'll talk about losses for Sheffield United and West Brom. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Coventry made it back-to-back wins by beating Sheffield United 1-0 thanks to a late penalty by Martin Waghorn. Not a game flushed with quality until the penalty, which came from just a brain-dead decision by Chris Basham to dive in. I have no idea why you do that in the dying moments of a game, Justin, but he certainly cost his team uh, anything from this game doing that. The Blades certainly came close, hitting both the crossbar and post in the second half, but they're now without a win since the international break, continuing to struggle, Justin, after previously being the best team in the league. 
Yeah, it's frustrating um, just because it's a very likable team under Heckingbottom. Um, but I think it's the first time as well, actually, I've seen Heckingbottom come under a bit of criticism from supporters um, just because of some of the decisions he make within the game. Um, for example, the game was the definition of a nil-nil. I know they hit the, the the woodwork twice, but the game was crying out for someone just to give them a bit of a spark. And John Fleck and Billy Sharp, good players, but they don't really provide that spark. Um, so why not bring Rita Kadra into the game, for example? That's one criticism I would have of them. But um, maybe perhaps as well, they're relying too much on the likes of Sandberg and um, Illiman and Dai just to give them that that spark, especially when the team's lacking in numbers. Um, so I think Hakimov's got to find a way of just getting more out of the team. Um, because defensively, again, they're okay um, at the moment. They're not as good as they have been before the international break. Um, but they're just not, yeah. They need to create more chances and, and rely less so on those on those key players. Yeah, it, it's it's quite difficult to assess really, isn't it? Because the issue before was injuries. It was difficult really to blame anything else. But after, things have started to recover in that respect. But results is still a problem. Sure, you have got the likes of Berger missing. But yeah, I'd still expect this team to be getting results. And the fact it's not happening is... A bit bamboozling for me. Uh, But it is back-to-back wins now for Kov. They're finally off the bottom of the table. Do we fancy them to keep climbing up the table now? I think so. Um, I know uh, a couple of weeks ago I was concerned for them. Um, But actually, when when I sit back and take a look at it, defensively, they're they're, they're really sound. They're they're keeping clean sheets. They're not conceding many chances, not conceding many goals as well as a result of that. Um, so it's really, really impressive from Coventry, and I think that's what will, that's, you know, that's what will be the difference between them staying in a championship and or staving off a relegation battle or, or being in a relegation battle is being defensively set up brilliantly. Um, and as I say, more performances like like this one, albeit there wasn't too much quality going forwards, but there can be if you pull up um, Callum O'Hara into that into that team. Um, yeah, they, they will they will they will get results because they're not conceding chances. They're, they've been very good defensively recently as I've said um, and they're certainly a lot better than quite a few teams that are down there at the moment yeah that, that, that was the thing for me I was never really too worried about Coventry going down the only thing that made me um, sweat on them a bit was the fact that I was looking at how much adrift they were to <laughs> the other teams um, in terms of points but of course they did have the cushion of having games in hand so now that they've started to start picking up results and the match fitness is there, that was being yeah. you know delayed by the pitch palaver earlier in the season, they do start to look a bit more like the Coventry of old. And now I'm thinking that I'd be very surprised if they are still in a relegation battle. Um, possibly a bit of a you know reaction, uh, a soon reaction just because of the most recent results. But at the same time, we just know this is a much better side than yeah, some exactly. of the other teams who are struggling at the moment. I mean, when you've got a striker like Victor Jokeres, who is one of the best strikers in the division, without a doubt for me. And then you've also got, you know, some very, very good players coming back from injury, the likes of Callum O'Hare, then this Coventry team will get better. So I think they will keep climbing the table and any fears of a relegation battle, I think will become a distant memory uh, quite soon. West Brom nil, Bristol City to a game of few chances really, but when they came, Bristol City made the most of it. West Brom didn't. 
nothing more else to say really Justin that's just what West Brom do isn't it yeah it's frustrating I think the way they conceded the goals as well is really poor I think the, the cross for the Wells goal for example Matty Phillips is walking back rather than um rather than applying pressure on the uh, on the on, on the crosser for the for the Wells goal but yeah absolutely spot on it's it's what West Brom do um they they create an abundance of chances and don't take them I don't know how to fix that if they haven't been able to fix it since the start of last season What's what's the tonic for it? Is it better players? Well, a manager will help. Yeah, manager. But is it? Well, they've had. They would have had three. Yeah, they would have. They would have had three. Is Carlos Corbran really the technical god who can get goals? I mean, maybe actually, because you're going to coach a system in place where you're going to put balls into areas where they can score goals. But if they're doing that already, not scoring goals, it's frustrating. Yeah, this they're a team that make you take it, that make you take your hair out because you have to say the same thing every week. It makes them really boring to talk about in some in some instances but at the same time really intrigued if the new manager comes in and gives them a spark because they bloody need it yeah I, I do feel a bit sorry for West Brom fans because the people upstairs at the club are seemingly moving at a snail's pace it's kind of mm. like you know in X-Men when Professor X freezes time except yeah. it's just the West Brom hierarchy who are the only ones who have slowed down <laughs> I can't say this because they are just slow, so slow at making decisions, aren't they? They took way too long to sack Steve Brucey. If they took that long because they had someone in mind, you know, who were they were negotiating with behind the scenes, then fine, I'd have let them off for taking that long to sack him. But Bruce was sacked over a week ago, Justin, and the latest reports from Sky Sports is they're yet to finalise a shortlist. What have <laughs> they been doing? So they don't seem any closer to finding a new manager for the club, which is... You know, it's all well and good. It's not like the, the games are just ticking by, you know, very quickly because of mm-hmm. this whole World Cup in the middle of the season. So we could, we could end up halfway through the season and West Brom could still be in and around the relegation zone, which is just, that, that just shouldn't be happening, Justin. I mean, Ron Gourley, what are you doing? Pull your finger out, mate. I've seen plenty of West Brom fans messaging us about how badly the club is being run. And I feel like that's particularly being highlighted in the past few weeks with just the most obvious of decisions coming down to management and what have you so god knows what else is going on around the pitch i just imagine there's you know a fire going on in the boardroom all times at west brom and they're just sat there like all is fine uh plenty of west brom uh, plenty of reading fans sorry will be saying we told you so by all accounts he did a awful job Ron Gourlay this is there as well so it's a really troubling time at the hawthorns and i'm quite fearful about how do they turn it around because I think things may improve on the pitch but I think they're always going to be held back because of how poorly run a club they are uh, but fair play to Bristol City Justin for doing the job that they had to do here they'll probably go unbeaten in eight now before failing to win another eight after that um, Middlesbrough's new manager Michael Carrick was watching in the stands as they won 4-1 away at Wigan more on him later in the news he would have very much enjoyed what he saw here, Justin, because Borough were absolutely excellent, weren't they? They were. I think it was a brilliant game overall. Wigan created an abundance of chances as well. Um, so certainly, yeah, get your money's worth at the, at the DW. Um, but yeah, it was a really good performance. And I think the, the, the most impressive thing is, yeah, that a lot of individuals were on it. Um, and yeah, we, we've been waiting for this sort of performance for a long time, haven't we? This is, I think this has been a culmination of what we thought Middlesbrough would be this season. Create shed load of chances take them um key individual key individuals highlighted 
in the win as well. And, and you know, it's really good shape three at the back. Yeah, it, there was a, a lot to like about the performance. Perhaps they conceded too many chances from Wigan, but they are playing away from home. Um, but yeah, at, without the ball, they were brilliant. They were quick on the counter attack. Um, yeah, Michael Carrick will certainly be convinced that he can get something out of this team. Depending on what style of football you'll play, obviously, if you're a Manchester United disciple, you're you're assuming you're going to play counter attacking football, or will you play possession based football? It's really hard to it's really hard to judge him until we see your first the first three or four games. But um, it'll be interesting to see how he, he strikes that balance because will he play three at the back? Will he go to four at the back? I, I you really don't know. We really don't know. Thanks for taking what I said, Justin. Of more of him later in the news and basically shitting all over that. <laughs> um, <laughs> The thing is, in this game, they could have scored more, couldn't yeah. they? And maybe the players had that extra incentive to impress the new manager. And it paid off for them, didn't it? Because they were amazing here. And I think this game shows this side has got potential. You only have to look at the players in that team to know that it has potential. Because there are some very, very good players here. Many of whom would walk into pretty much every championship side. So it's just about knitting it all together. Chris Wilder wasn't too happy about the setup of the team. Michael Carrick may be a, a lot happier and may start to show what this team is capable of because I think it's without a doubt capable of top six, isn't it? It's just whether yeah. the damage has already been done as regards to this season. Uh, but Wigan, the worst home record in the league, just six points from eight games, which is worrying, isn't it? especially when away results have started to take a turn as well. So, yeah. It's fairly troubling times at Wigan. Birmingham won, Burnley won. Not a great performance by Burnley, but I suppose if you get points without playing well, sign of a good side? Yeah, I think both teams would have been happy with a point coming away from it because you think about it from a Burnley perspective, they're coming up against a team who are in form and are very difficult to break down and do have a lot of um, a lot of strengths on the counter-attack. Um, I think the thing that will frustrate companies they were they took the lead again they dropped the lead again um but as i say you'd be happy with a point and obviously birmingham take a point off a, a promotion chaser and continue their good form so i think both sides would be relatively con- content from from this result um one thing i want to point out was vincent company was very mature in his post-match press conference because he even recognized that um they're not quite where they want to be yet they've brought in 16 new players to just have to relax and, and keep playing as, as a group um, because the results will come. Uh, and he highlighted the fact that they've thrown away another lead. But again, young group, um, young new group, I think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think we've seen the best of this Burnley side at all. Yeah, I've always been very impressed with Vincent Company when he's spoken in the media. He's a very good talker, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to say, dropping points from winning positions... It happens quite a lot with Burnley, doesn't it? So <laughs> if there is one Achilles heel that they've shown so far, it's definitely that. Great goal by Johan Goodmanson in mm-hmm. this game as well. But Birmingham have now lost just one of their last eight, Justin. And it's getting to the point now where earlier in the season, I was thinking, oh God, this side looked like they're really, really struggling. But now as the time goes on, the more I'm looking at it, thinking relegation battle could be a thing of the past just because they have played so well recently. It's not just been good results. They have been playing well on the pitch, haven't they? Only mm-hmm. Preston have conceded fewer goals than them, which is a pretty remarkable stat considering they were 
fairly hopeless on many occasions at the back last season, but they've really been solidified by the additions of, you know, Trusty, who's been excellent so far. Uh, Dion Sanderson, great to have him back in the team. John Roddy's been showing some of his best performances in years in goal. And uh, Emmanuel Longello uh, has uh, really impressed me at left wing back as well. But also in midfield, we talk about, you know, Bielik and Chong, two midfielders who are two of the best in the division, really, isn't it? which mm-hmm. is why it seems yeah. stranger that they're outside like Birmingham, who many were tipping to go down this season. Mm-hmm. Continue to have a couple of concerns about, you know, relying on the likes of Troy Deeney and Scott Hogan over a season, but Scott Hogan's good value for double digits, I suppose. And that may just be good enough for Birmingham. Look, many championship pundits like ourselves couldn't relegate them quickly enough in a, the league table predictions at the start of the season. I don't think I saw many people who had them to stay up, but I look at it now and there are certainly at least three teams who are in a more perilous position than them. I will hold off saying they're definitely safe so far just because they started quite well under Lee Bowyer last season before it all fell apart and nearly got dragged into it. Um, So it could happen again, but John Eustace is doing a fantastic job uh, considering his managerial career at the likes of Kidderminster and a short time at QPR weren't amazing. He's really showing now why he's such a highly rated coach and Birmingham are just ticking over very nicely. It's chaos off the pitch, but on the pitch, they're doing very, very well and making a really good account for themselves. Preston bounced to back-to-back losses, bounced back from back-to-back losses. My my notes made absolutely no (laughs) sense there. There are too many Bs. Preston bounced back from back-to-back losses by winning 1-0 away at Huddersfield. A good, solid performance from Preston, who I thought were good value for the win here. Just in four of their five wins this season have now come away from home. They now have the best away record in the league. So plenty of positives for Ryan Lowe's sides, who haven't been amazing on the road in terms of performances, but in terms of results, you can't shake a stick at that, can you? No, absolutely not. I don't think there'll be, te- there'll be a team that um, get into the playoffs, but if they can be there or thereabouts, it's been a very successful season. And I think this performance reflected Pre- uh, Preston quite well this season. They created some good chan- uh, some really good chances. Uh, it was a really good away performance. It didn't create an abundance, but they got into some good areas. I think Fernandez had a chance towards the end of the game. Um, I, but that'll be the only criticism coming away is that they didn't make this game more comfortable, which is quite a, um, a swipe on, on Huddersfield because, they, again, they were terrible. Um, but yeah, they, they kept um, Huddersfield at arm's length. Huddersfield barely had anything going forward. They didn't create much at all. Um, so I think that's credit to the shape and, again, organisation from Ryan out, out of possession because we know what they can do with the ball. So yeah, a, a really good win. And, and again, you're bouncing back from um, a couple of poor defeats and, and, and keeping a clean sheet and getting a win. Uh, three points, yeah, you're buzzing. Yeah, Preston head into their derby game against Blackpool with some momentum, which Preston fans will be very, very happy about. But you were very right to mention just in that Huddersfield were awful and things are very bad there, aren't they? Four points from 15 for Mark Fotheringham since he came in and the task he's got of keeping Huddersfield up has really been highlighted with gigantic mm-hmm. Las Vegas style neon lights, hands <laughs> it. Because worth saying as well, the five games he's been in charge for not the most difficult five games in the world. And if you're not getting results here, then I really fear for Huddersfield. I don't I, I don't think Mark Fotheringham's the main man for blame here, by the way. It's still very early on in his premiership. And he may get them going eventually, but they have really struggled so far. And there's been not really a new manager bounce at all, as it's 
be more of a yeah, manager splat where they've just hit the pavement and just lying there still is worth remembering though Danny Schofield really struggled and I think it's just plenty for the fact that this squad is not very good and you were telling me at the weekend Justin that some supporters think this is a top half side I could not disagree more with that there's very few players here who would get into your average mid-table championship side mm-hmm. let alone top half championship side perhaps a wily old veteran like Neil Warnock, for example, I'm not saying they should get Neil Warnock in. Um, maybe he or someone like him could get these players playing above their level, but to expect two young coaches to do it in their first managerial roles, asking a lot into it. And Huddersfield are fortunate that there are a handful of sides who are also very much struggling so far, but it wouldn't surprise me if they start getting cut adrift because being completely frank, Justin, they've easily been the worst team in the division for me. Yeah, completely agree. You're, you've you've hit the nail on the head. They needed a results man to come in, especially after Schofield to come in, shake the trees a little bit, and um, and get them organised and structured because defensively they're a mess. There's no desire to attack the ball. Conceded a goal from another set piece. Cunningham had a really easy header for the goal, um, and the more that comes out about Fotheringham. Um, I don't know whether there's rumours. There's a lot of rumours running around about Fotheringham and Hogg, for example. Um, won't entertain them just yet until, unless anything comes out. But it, came, it did come out in the press that he, at half-time, he watches the subs to see if they'll make an impact. And my jaw dropped at that point because half-time's the key point where you drill into your players about result, getting a result, um, trying to highlight weaknesses in opposition and attacking them. What are you doing not in that change room? It really, really bizarre. Really, really bizarre. And yeah, I feel bored for the supporters who have been sold short this season. Yeah, almost as bizarre as his accent, which is a mix oh. of Scottish, German, Italian, Spanish. It's, it's a very peculiar accent. Uh, Swansea came from two goals down to beat Reading 3-2. Some of the lights went off early in this game, which is always one of the most thrilling things in football, isn't it? The floodlights failing and the pure chaos that follows. Um, it, it looked like this was going to be a, a very bad few days for the Swans after getting spanked away at Burnley at the weekend before the comeback. Even more impressive when you remember Joel Pirro was missing for this game, Justin. But Swansea, even when they were 2-0 down, I still thought they were the better side. Yeah, they made a really good start to the game and, and the goals that Reading scored were, were certainly against a run of play. Um, they, yeah, they were, they were unfortunate because they conceded from two mi- mistakes as well. Um, two really poor errors. So yeah, I think Russell Martin would have just said more of the same, please, um, because they knew they'd have probably got back into it and they did. They were really good. They were really good value for the win. Created a good amount of chances. Ollie Cooper's been fantastic. Luke Kundal again um, it, it was a nuisance in the box saying how small he was. He created a lot of, um, not chaos or mayhem, but you know, a, a bit of a faux, a faux player in the, in the, in the box for the, for the Cooper goal. So yeah, this was what we expect wanted to be. They were well and truly battered at the weekend, but they bounced back quite nicely. I think that the the thing that Russell Martin will be frustrated with it was just the goals they conceded because you don't concede those. I think Swansea win two or three nil quite easily. Much needed performance wants it before the South Wales derby yeah. this coming weekend. Three losses in a row for Reading now. They've dropped down to tenth after being in the playoffs for much of the season. Could we start seeing the Reading that many people were expecting earlier in the season? Only time will tell. Uh, we're going to have to fly through these two games, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. Rotherham got back-to-back wins for the first time this season by beating Stoke 1-0. <laughs> this is why we don't ever get too carried away with Stoke. It's worth mentioning, though, you talk about undeserved wins. They don't come around very often, but Rotherham <laughs> had four shots to Stoke's 29. Uh, I think we can definitely put this in the category of snatch and grab, can't we, from a Rotherham perspective. Mm-hmm. But 
Matt Taylor will be absolutely delighted to get back-to-back wins. And then finally, Hull managed to avoid a defeat for just the second time in nine matches after beating Blackpool 3-1. As I said at the start of the show, we usually don't have 3-1 as the last game that we talk about, but there were just so many big talking points from this week. Uh, But Hull's first away win of the season, considering they've been struggling recently, uh, this is a much-needed result for them. Wonderful goal by Greg Doherty as well. Blackpool had quite a few players missing because of suspension and injury, and that could very well hinder them as they head into a big weekend, considering they've got their rivals Preston coming up. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And after seemingly rejecting the job last week, Michael Carrick is now set to be named as the new Middlesbrough manager, according to numerous reports. Interesting U-turn, that, Justin. What are you thinking? Uh, perhaps he's been convinced by <clears throat> by those upstairs because obviously the I think the issues were who's making the decisions um, from a Middlesbrough p- uh, perspective. Um, so perhaps that's that's uh, helped him. But yeah, it is interesting. Look, Middlesbrough have got a good team. They've got a really good squad, and I think they don't need too much um, to 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 go in there and, and and change things around. I think Chris Wilder was incredibly grumpy because he didn't get what he wanted in the summer, and I think that seeped into the team. So actually, if you just bring a new manager to come in, get them organised and playing the way we know they can play, um, I think they'll pick up results quite easy because there's just too much quality in that team to be in and around the bottom half, let alone the bottom six. Um, they should be certainly batting a lot higher. And I think they will. I think I'd like to think that Carrick can come in and, and do a, um, a good job because I don't think it would take much, as I say, to, to get them going. We saw it with the Wigan game. They're very good. Yeah, I th- I th- I like this appointment. I think it's considering managerial experiences next to nothing, it's obviously a risk in that sense. But Middlesbrough have proven a, a proven track record in the past, don't they, of giving managers their first jobs and it paying off brilliantly. Look at Brian Robson, Steve McLaren, <laughs> Ito Karanka. Southgate. Southgate. Got them to <laughs> UEFA Cup final, didn't he? Um, was it? Oh, never mind then. Um he was all right, though. Anyway, the point is that they've done this in the past and it's worked wonders, hasn't it? So I'd see no reason why Carrick can't be a success here. He's, a, he, by all accounts, a brilliant coach and we all know how good a player he was and he was a very gifted, ta- tactically-minded mm-hmm. player at the same time, wasn't he? So he could be a really good appointment. It's going to, I think it's a big ass net now for him to get Middlesbrough back into the top six race. He could do it, but it'll be a big ask in his first job. But in the long term, it could be a fantastic appointment because we all know um, what he can bring in terms of leadership skills, that kind of thing. So I'm willing to give him time. As I said before, I, I struggled to see Middlesbrough getting, you know, seriously involved in a relegation battle. So you may as well take a, a gamble on someone like Carrick and it could work wonders. The only concerns I would have is who's uh, making decisions in terms of transfers, because that's now led to um, the last two managers being upset. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see whether Carrick is the third one in that in that succession. QPR boss Mick Beal is the first choice as the new Wolves manager, as first reported by The Athletic. Done a very good job at QPR so far, Justin, but I find it very strange that he could be going to a Premier League club already after three or four months in management. Yeah, really bizarre. Um, when this came out, I just thought it was just usual speculation. Manager doing well, uh, and the obvious being picked out by bookies and 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 
journalists. Um, but actually, yeah, the reports became even more intensified. I think Beale said himself that he turned his phone off at three to avoid the speculation, 3 p.m. Um, uh, yesterday for, to avoid the speculation. And yeah, it's just bizarre. Why would why would Wolves go for someone so inexperienced? Because even as a top flight coach, he doesn't have that much experience at Aston Villa. He was only there for a handful of months. And yes, he was at Rangers for a couple of years with Gerard, but I just don't think that's enough. If I'm a, if I'm a, a club owner and I'm spending a lot of money on a football club, it's not enough to convince me that he can cut it in the Premier League. I think that perhaps they've seen the Graham Potter, um, uh, Graham Potter aspect at Brighton, him being so, so successful um, they're just trying to get ahead of that curve. But I think Beale still needs a full season to cut his teeth into management because QPR could go on to lose 10 games in a row and he gets sacked. That's a championship. That's how it works. Um, it, it can it can pull you in and spit you out. Um, and I don't think Beale's gone through that yet. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, Justin. I think you look at other young British managers in the championship right now, I think there are others who are more deserving than Mick Beal, you look at the likes of Nathan Jones, even Russell Martin, just because they've had more experience at this level than Mick Beal. So it's very strange. He's done a fantastic job at QPR so yeah. far. We cannot underestimate that enough. For them to be sat top of the league in his first managerial job, he deserves so much praise for that. But it's very strange from a Wolves perspective for them to look at someone like Julian Lopetegui, mm-hmm. the ex-Spain manager, and go, well, he's our first choice. He turns them down and then they go, well, our second choice is going to be a championship manager who's been in charge of a club for three months. Very strange in that respect. But who knows? It may it may work out well for him, but I, I don't see what Wolves are thinking unless his agent has pulled off a worldie. Uh, after the win on Wednesday, he said it would be hard to walk away from QPR right now, especially this group. Initially, I thought that sounded quite positive for QPR, Justin, but the more I thought about it, He's not saying no, is he? So it's like a set of parents saying to their kids, it's a really difficult decision to split up, but we, we really want to. We have to. So, yeah, it's it sounds like he may very well be heading out the door at QPR. And that brings me nicely on to what next for QPR, who were flying under Mick Beale, loving life under Mick Beale, but now maybe losing this really promising young manager after just a matter of months. I don't, I don't know. It's happened so quickly. It's really hard to. It's it's really, really hard to come up with something. Um, I mean, Mick Beale plays. Uh, a, he's he's a very good tactician. You know, they're not exactly a fluid um, team. They're very tactile. Um, the four-two-three-one is so perfectly balanced. I don't want it to see it leave the championship so soon. I want to see it progress this season um, because he's got so much out of the players that are there. Um, I honestly, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on who could come in and do a similar job. Again, if you're looking at young, up and coming coaches, I've said it, I said it with the last few jobs. Stephen Schubach would be top of the, top of the pile for me, but um, at Plymouth, but I don't think um, his style of play would suit this team who have become relatively more rigid. Um, so yeah, I, in all, all in all, I don't know, Ryan. I really don't know. All of, I think we'll talk more about. Yeah. who QPR are getting next once the news is actually confirmed. But, I mean, QPR couldn't go too wrong with getting Neil Critchley in and just stealing another bit. Oh, yeah, that's great. Here, could they? Yeah. So, especially <laughs> if uh, Gerard gets sacked. So, yeah, it's we'll, we'll, we'll ponder more over this in the coming days, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have faith that QPR will make the right decisions. I think Mick Beale was a smart appointment, and I think they would 
do it again. Um, it's just about, you know, trying to keep the momentum going from this season, which I think mm-hmm. will be stopped because of Beal's departure. And um, it's going to be, I feel like the expectations have shifted for the new manager when Mick Beal went in there with a bit of a clean slate, didn't he? So, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. We can say that for sure. Wiggins James McLean has criticised the FA and EFL for a lack of action over the sectarian abuse aimed at him. He took to social media to highlight chance directed at him during their defeat at Sunderland last weekend. He said, I would be lying if I was to say I expect anything to be done about this by the FA or EFL. McLean's also posted a video in its loud booing and chance can be heard as he took a corner. I personally don't get the abuse aimed at him. He's been getting it for years now, but I think it would take a longer podcast to dive into that one. Joel Pirro will serve a free match ban after Swansea opted not to appeal against the red card he received against Burnley on Saturday. Not really surprising because I think it was Ballsy pretty blatant. Um, all mean that he misses the South Wales derby this coming weekend, though. West Brom have issued an indefinite ban to a fan for a racist defence at a game. The 21-year-old man made racist comments during the home game against Huddersfield last March. Norwich have, ended a pre- have announced a pre-tax loss of more than £23 million for the 12-month period ending last June. What were you saying, Justin, the other day about, other day about Stuart Webber being a great sporting director because they're a profitable club? piss off no (laughs) it's Premier League spending Premier League spending and finally former Cardiff Huddersfield Norwich and Wigan winger Anthony Pilkington has retired any memories of him Justin I have absolutely none of him he was a player who had a very good left foot but that's all I can really say about him unfortunately he very well liked at the clubs he played for but not exactly I know it's really harsh to say on his retirement a good player he's a good player yeah, he was handy. Once he had yeah. good spells at Huddersfield and Cardiff, Norwich and Wigan, not as much, but mm. he, he could hit it from distance. Remember that much? He was a fairly yeah. handy player, wasn't he? Yeah. Right, now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking the turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the questions with the scores 43-36 to my colleagues. Still very tight right now. I'm just waiting for one of us to have an absolute nightmare week. And it could be this week. However, I've got my new tactic of just jumping in headfirst with my answers. And I'm doing that again this week. So just in first one, please. Scott Sinclair and QPR. Yes. Yes, nine appearance on loan in 2007. <laughs> Next one, please. Benny Kofobe and Bolton. Yes. 20 appearances in 2012. I think he was there at the same time as Wilshire, I think. Maybe? No, no. I think- no. I think I'm getting my ears mixed up there. I, yeah. he was def- I, I definitely remember that one. Okay. Okay. Do you remember this one? Paul Gallagher and Blackpool. Oh. I didn't dive headfirst into that one because I thought you said Blackburn initially. Um, and then I had to rethink because he definitely played for Blackburn. I don't think he played for Blackpool though. Toward the Northwest. No, not having it. You're correct. Didn't happen. Yeah, didn't think so. Next one, please. Lewis Grabbin and Crystal Palace. Oh, God. I have not gone in head first again. I've stuttered. <laughs> See, I remember looking at Lewis Grabbin's career. I think it may have came up as a Simon Grayson's hate for later at one point. And I 
Oh, God. I'm going to say no. You'd be incorrect. He came through and made 10 appearances between 2005 and 2008. That's irritating. I knew he was from <laughs> down that way, but yeah, that's quite irritating. Okay, three out of four for me. Adam Lafondre and Wigan. Yes. Correct. Learn to in 2016. Okay, you're not even bothering doing mind games this week. <laughs> What's the point? It's because I'm hungry. I want to get this done. <laughs> <laughs> Dexter Blackstock and Charlton. Yes. Never happened. Dexter Blackstock has played for so many clubs. <laughs> it's, honestly, I could have just not a clue really with that one. Uh, I've just given myself, I put that down as right when that wasn't right. So I've got four out of six, haven't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next one. Yes, please. Lyle Taylor and Bournemouth. See, this was prior to him being at Charlton wanted and his career prior to that passed me by a bit. I think he was at Wimbledon, but I, ugh, he has been around for a long time and he's older than you think. He's only 31. Yeah. Older than you think though. Literally just said he's 31. You can't be older yeah. than I think if you're 31. Well, I, I always thought because he's, he wasn't really on my radar until when he was at Charlton. And by that point he was like 28, 29. That means older than I think. Um, I'd say no. 29 appearances between 2010 and 2012. <laughs> it's because it's I'm not going head first, right? I'm going head first in this one, whatever it is. I've got four out of seven. Are you confident? No. Chris, you, Aluma and Bristol City. Yes. 10 appearances on loan, 2010. Yeah, yeah recall that. Really? <laughs> Fair enough. Danny Collins and Norwich City. I cannot. Danny Collins's career is one of those that has completely passed me by, but I'd say no. You'd be correct. Rosie Cheeks players always make me think of Norwich City, Bournemouth, Brighton. Danny Collins is a Rosie Cheek player. So. Who else is a Rosie Cheek player out of interest? Uh, Patrick Bamford. Um, that's all I, I can think really of. Think he's got Rosie Cheeks, has he? I think he does, yeah. Anyway, Justin, let's wrap this up. Come on. <laughs> Mark Hudson and Charlton. Yes. Correct. This passed me by. 43 appearances in 2008, 2009. Can I just give you one more, just as a bonus? Doesn't count. Yeah, go on then. Sol Bamber and PSG. <laughs> yes. One appearance in 2004. Wow. That is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there yeah. we go. I've got seven this week, ladies and gentlemen, which means the score is all tied. 43. 43 here on Diddy or Didenties. It continues to remain tight. I'm not sure if it's going to, you know, we're going to have a big gap at any point, but well, nearly a third of the way through the season now, and we can't be separated, but here we go. That's Diddy or Didenties, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about a big weekend of football, ladies and gentlemen. We've got Blackpool v Preston, the Lancashire Derby. We've got the Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire Derby. The M1 derby, Watford v Luton. I don't know what the actual name mm. is for it, but it's a big game. And also the South Wales derby as well. And we've also got Sheffield United Norwich. So some crackerjack games coming up this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you stick around with us for Sunday's episode where we'll bring you reaction to all the games as well as all the news from the past few days in the Championship. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Zilks. I've been Justin Peach.
and a big thank you for listening. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.